Hello, and welcome to the Plugged In Podcast, where we talk with founders and CEOs in order to bring you the real stories of failures and triumphs, highs and lows they've experienced on their journey toward success. We will go in-depth with our guests to give you insights into how they have taken an idea from concept to realization, making those first key hires to building the right team, scaling revenues, how they overcame obstacles, and much more as we learn how they achieve success. This is the podcast that you want to subscribe to if you want to learn how to succeed. Hello, everyone. This is Ellie Mandelbaum. We are honored to have Ruli Eliezerov to uh, be with us today. Um, we're going to be interviewing him. He is one of the co-founders of Gigya, which was a, I would say, an old company. started, I think, in 2006 and pretty much plugged along, built a really nice niche and then recently exited with SAP. Pretty much the interview is going to be a back and forth, really, where you started, how you managed to succeed, just various questions about that. It's really casual and formal. So why don't we start, just give us a little bit of background about you, and then we'll just jump into the questions. Great. Great to see you again after a few years. My name is Ruli Eliezerov. Actually, I was educated to be an architect. I thought I will build buildings. At some point, I, I graduated after five years of studies, began working as an architect, and then realized that spaces for people cannot be planned ahead and then executed and never changed again. Because people are complex, and it's very hard to predict how they will behave, how they will use such a, you know, it's a product after all, right? Which is all about human experience. Um, and then the internet began to bloom and I realized that this could be a space where I can design experiences for people in large scale, but it will enable me to iterate and improve and study and analyze. And uh, I think that uh, yeah, I found my niche there. And from then on, I'm in that space. Uh, initially, I joined um, a startup company back in the early 2000s years and um, this company was acquired in 2006. In that company I worked with uh, Eyal and Iran and we decided we want to continue working together and we founded Gigia. Yeah, after a long journey of 11 years we got to a scale where quite a few uh, large uh, enterprises were looking to acquire us and since SAP shared was the only one who shared the same vision we had and also in terms of the the culture, we felt that we are sharing the same kind of values. Uh, we felt that it was right to join forces with them. Well, that's great. I mean, you actually touched upon a bunch of things I want to ask you in the interview. From culture to company growth, scalability. Uh, but first, you know, let's go back to, you know, how you, how you met your co-founders, right? So you, you worked together previously, but how did the idea come about, you know, as an entrepreneur again? I used to be an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. You know, when you have an idea, it's, it's very hard to put it out. So how do you guys come up with it? How do you guys build it out, you know, get your first clients, and then raise the funds? You know, how challenging was it? Could you just walk us through it a bit so, you know, the listeners could really, the two or three of them that I have at the moment, uh, could really understand more about the experience of the entrepreneur. Again, you, you, you hit the success part, but you all, you went through Early on. Yes. And we went through very hard times. I tell every young entrepreneur I meet, I'm telling him, her or him, they need to be prepared to at least twice, uh, two times where it, they will be sure 
the place is, is falling apart and there's no way out of it. So, yeah, we went through these uh, uh, dips too. So, uh, yeah, I will begin with the with the, the co-founders because it's more of around that than about the idea. We, uh, we worked together for seven or eight years in that startup and... Um, and then we real we we realized that we are working well together. And I because I think after so many years, um, you learn both the there there are two kind of um, aspects to to partnership. One is appreciation, meaning the you know professional capabilities, and one is the uh, personality, the way to get along. And we did feel both that we're getting along very well, and that we appreciate each other. Um, so it was natural for us to continue working together because everybody knows how hard it is to find such a close partner, whether it's for personal relationship or for work relationship. And so when you find one, you stick with it. Um, so it began actually with this, with this partnership rather than the idea. Mm-hmm. So I know sometimes, you know, it, it's, it doesn't sound good to, you know, to say, look for an idea. But we didn't look for an idea. We looked for understanding what's going on in the market. And what we, real, what we realized... Uh, is that uh, people, it was 2006, begin to move their lives to the, to the Internet. So until then, people, the, the understanding was or the view of the Internet was it's another media channel, like TV or radio or paper, uh, where you can consume information in a more advanced way. But in 2006, it, more, it was more visible that people begin to look at it as a space. So, like, instead of doing banking, I don't remember what exactly was mature there, but what the trend was that doing banking, doing healthcare management, doing com- commerce, doing things, you begin to do that online. And, and that creates an opportunity. The product, so the vision was around that understanding. The product went through different phases and, you know, there were pivots so it's you can't even compare to what we ended up with and what we began with, but uh, we always uh, stick to that kind of understanding and adjust it to the market. Got it. And so you, you pretty much came up, you know, for you it was much more about the cohesiveness as 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 a group with you three, and then the idea pretty much you, you evolved. Yes, evolved. Okay. So you know, before we get to the pivot, because I think a lot of Companies do pivot, and it's somewhat of a negative connotation, but it's really mm-hmm. not. It's just an evolve. You know, your, your company evolves. Um, talk. You know, when you started, you, you had to. You know, you probably bootstrapped, and then you raised around. Mm-hmm. How challenging was that? And, and and were all three of you involved in the process, or one took the lead? You know, it, you know, etc. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were the three of us were involved. Um, you know, I think that from the first moment, we it was obvious to us that we will, I, I don't know, not succeed, not that we're, you know, to where we got right now, but to come up with a good product and to raise money. Uh, I think that it, it relates to the fact that back then there were, uh, we were coming out of very few startups that were successful. The company we left was acquired and it already gave us, we were the three VPs there um, and uh we felt that, you know, unlike today, where there's so so much experience around us in Israel, back then it was rare. So it was, we knew the internet, we understood, we were, we did pretty well. Um, so it was just a matter of finding the right thing and then coming, getting investors. 
uh, on board. I we I was on the board of back then. People may not remember the Meta Cafe was one of oh, the successful yeah. companies. Uh, through that uh, new benchmark, okay. the Israeli Office of Benchmark Capital, Michael Eisenberg. Yes. Okay. And then Michael Eisenberg was you know knew me and uh, was interested in uh, investing us. Uh, I must say that throughout the way we had amazing relationship with our investors. Both the leaders were Michael and Navin Chadow from from Mayfield. These were like eleven years of uh, great partnership with the investors too. That that's great to hear. That's somewhat unusual sometimes. Yes. Um. So you know, from so you raise around and you know what was the first challenge you hit, right? So you know, again, you know, two thousand six to now. It, Drastic changes in the internet, right? The culture, the mentality, people's lives are much more on their phone than back then, mainly because the iPhone came out and then Android, and mm-hmm. it's a lot more mobile, a lot more accessible. So when you hit that first roadblock, you know, how do you overcome it? You know, yeah. how do you, you know, how do you get past that? Okay, so I think we, the first roadblock we hit were, was the same one that I think 99% of at least the internet startups bump into, which is distribution slash adoption again whenever I speak with entrepreneurs I tell them you may have the greatest product in the world and I know entrepreneurs that built amazing beautiful products uh, but don't think that this will get you adoption you have to as, as you know as much as you see the product as a startup the go-to-market strategy is its own startup where uh, when we had the product first version of their product ready and we want to get it to the market, but we we knew this is the challenge, but uh, but indeed it hit us, and you know there is no not much adoption, and uh, you know as start as a startup you don't need to have some adoption, you need to have a huge spike, um, and then I think you know that our, the first thing we've done, which I'm pretty proud of, was our go to market strategy, which ended up with the pivot. So it's it, we uh, were able we developed a tool. That to distribute our product, that we offer it for free. You know, I don't, I don't want to spend too much time around it, but it's like as, as I said before, the go-to-market strategy for us was a startup of its own, which included even a product that promotes our product. <laughs> but eventually, that product took uh, like uh, um, kind of um, traction so well that it became our main product, right. and we had some business model. We created business model around it, and we. We left the the first one, so uh, I think you know if you if we're talking to some entrepreneurs, they should from the beginning, even before they design their product, realize that uh, their main main challenge is going to be the distribution, and therefore maybe they should even design a product without being in with, with that in mind. Yes, interesting. But and so uh, you know, you view yourself now as a data company, and did you view yourself back then? Was data to me is a very um, you know, it's an open box, right? There's so much going on in data, and there's so many different applications with it. Um, more now than again back then. There's just so much more data points you're, we're we're, mm-hmm. we're getting. And did you, when you start out, did you view yourself as a data company, or you viewed yourself as a, you know, we're just giving access, and this is the way we're building it? And you know, when did that shift happen? If the shift even happened? Yeah. So we. Um, you know, I need to understand exactly what it means to be a data company, but we're not a data. We're not touching the data, so we're not uh, analyzing or doing any machine learning or something like that. We're more of a, a, a way. We're more of a utility 
for companies to get all their customers' data into one place, okay. which is a very challenge, a big challenge for them. And there is also a kind of a, a good reason behind it, not beyond business, which is uh, enabling their customers to have access to the data. So currently, let's say you work uh, with with Nestle. Nestle has dozens of or hundreds of brands, dozens across dozens of countries, and you don't know what, even they don't know what data they have about you specifically for, around, across all these uh, properties. We help them get everything to one place from all the systems and then enable you as a customer to log in and ask them, what do you know about me? And um, I want you to delete this piece of information or I allow you to use this information for this and that. Um, so, And in that way, they both create better relationship with the customer and also um, they can serve them better. So they use this data which is coming from all those brands um, to do better marketing, better support and better service in general. Got it. Um, so when did you start scaling the company? Uh, not, I'm, product, not, I'm not referring to product-wise, but people-wise. And, yeah. and what were the challenges? Because I know... Big challenges. A lot of companies, yeah. I mean, when you start hiring, hiring key personnel and then making sure the, the um, environment is the one that you want. And I know that you mentioned and when you looked at the different suitors that were coming after you, SAP and you aligned together. So how was it building that? And again, was it, everything stems from the three of you, the three co-founders. Mm-hmm. Everything trickles down from there, right? Um, so, how how was that when building it, and what did you look for? So, one thing that I, is interesting to mention was our choice of CEO. So, at one some point, or at one point, uh, the business was more oriented to sales than to product. So, you know, usually, at least at the beginning of you know the life of a company, there is a lot uh, uh, the, of the success is dependent on the product. At some point, as the product is figured out and is selling well, it's more the scale is more around uh, the business side. And we, none of us had the genes of, of, uh, of the sales um, qualities. And instead of hiring someone from outside, although we had a small try, try around that, uh, we, decide, we designated someone within the organization younger than the three of us, 10 years, very young, but very promising. And we asked him to be our CEO. His name is Patrick Salier. And uh, it proved to be a great decision because both he he did and does great until today. Uh, But also in terms of the relationship, um, there was no throughout the way, in the same way, the relationship among us and the relationship we had with our investors. We also had great relationship with our nominated CEO uh, who appreciated us uh, for giving him the opportunity, but also... uh, um, you know, it was so organic and uh, natural, and therefore uh, it went very well throughout the years. And he was he was internally it was an internal hire, and he was on yes. your sales team. And he began as you know, somewhere a sales slash business, and uh, he you know he he uh, pro- made some progress, became a VP at some point. We we let we let people in the organization. We have more examples uh, of people that began in a, you know entry level role and 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 are now in a VP role. Uh, we have quite a few of such. Um, so we let people in, uh, grow not only vertically, but also horizontally. Uh, again, we have many examples of that. I think that's something every company should uh, adopt. Um, but how, how do you create that culture? Was that's, I mean, that's impressive. I mean, that's definitely, you know, you don't, I, don't, I definitely don't hear that a lot. It's impressive in the sense that the opportunity is always there and people know it. 
So they're always trying to do their best, but it's not easy thing to it create. Begins, it begins with hiring very strong people. So first, you know, Iran, our CTO, my partner, uh, is very careful about who is hiring, who engineers that he chooses to work with. And uh, I think one thing that uh, you need to uh, have your managers realize is that they shouldn't be afraid of hiring people or intimidated by hiring people that seem even smarter than them. If you adopt this culture of there is room for, for everybody and uh, you're not being risked by hiring someone very strong and um, this is the culture here. And then from then you let people, you hire people that are curious, that are looking to uh, achieve more than they were just uh, tasked with. You let them participate in, I don't know, engineer can be in, in, a, in a marketing meeting um, and you know, at some point, there is maybe a you know a position, and and that person can fit or uh, apply. So these things happen. Wow, that's, that's good to know. I, I appreciate that. Um, <coughs> what was the, you know what was the first big issue you faced? You, was it the distribution aspect and the adoption? Is that the first? And that's where the you very went? first. Yes, there were many after. And, and and so just another one again because I'm trying yeah. to. I, I like the real examples. Challenges and how you overcame it, and then I'm going to ask you a question before you know your first job, even in a sense. But yeah, I mean, how did you overcome it? Like again, not specifically, it could be the three of you or the four of you with the CEO as well. But how did you overcome that? Because again, there are a few times when you're really down, right? You get mm-hmm. it's like, what am I doing? I'm, I'm making any money? There's no. Is yeah, yeah. No I'll, I'll tell you about a big one that we had. Sure. Okay. So our product, it was, we're talking about the days of MySpace. And our product. <laughs> Hold on. MySpace was a social network that at some point that was bigger than Facebook. Yeah. But for a very short time. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, it was back then considered the number one social network, no rivals. And, uh, and um, so our product was pretty much dependent on MySpace and we began to see the decline of uh, that social network and with that our business model and product success and we needed to, to see, I mean the trend was clear we needed to, to see how we're taking uh, it from there uh, it generated already revenue significant for a startup it was like $500,000 a month um, and um, it's very hard to uh, to kill the, the you know the sick cow that still gives you milk. Yeah. Um, but uh, we, uh, I think what you know uh, what I'm happy about is that we were very enthusiastic people, and therefore when we came up with something that is um, not dependent on any specific social network, but is more generic, that is very different from the the product that you know this cow that we used so far um, we got so enthusiastic about it and so optimistic that we uh, we we did, we did this was actually the, the biggest kind of um, um, pivot we've done in terms of uh, product and uh, you know I think this decision of, of leaving something that works but doesn't have a potential and and moving on to a new thing is one of the hardest decisions for entrepreneurs to do because it's always you always have the question it's always hard and you always have the question whether I should continue to try or should I leave it and do go with something new um, this is uh, you know something that uh, you just need to uh, to feel inside of you there is no list you can look at of cons and pros um, and 
that's the decision we've made at that point. It was correct, actually. Got it. Um, so I want to go back. I mean, you know, these are more personal questions. So, you know, when when you were 15, what did you want to be? I mean, was it an architect? I mean, or was it, you know, something? And, and at what point in time did you realize, well, that's just not going to happen? Okay. So it's funny because as much as I'm not coming from, uh, I'm not an engineer and I'm not positioned in the company as being the technologist. When I was a teenager, computers is what, is, is what I was excited about. I imagined myself doing things in 3D and, um, and uh, yeah, working with software, not necessarily developing, but uh, working with software. I was fascinated by, uh, by, by technology, by uh, software, and by, it wasn't the internet, but I had a modem. And by the potential of connecting to the world, um, so I, I didn't have a kind of a vision of what I want to do, but I knew that I'm excited about the power of technology and the scalability of that. And got it. And what, what was the first thing you you failed at? Significant, like you know, whether it's you know school, whether it was job wise, and what did you do to, to again overcome it? I mean, was again I ask a lot of questions about that. Mainly because, you know, I just, people need to understand that there's always a way to overcome a challenge, overcome failure. Failure doesn't make you, right? It doesn't break you. It's a question of, you know, how you get up is, is, is really what defines you. Right. So I think that people will feel it, I'm talking about our listeners, my, my message is when you're in your, in your zone, in the place that you feel most natural and mo- most excited and enthusiastic about, you will not be intimidated uh, by failures in, to the level of uh, quitting. Because when you're, and I think therefore you really need to look for that area where you feel most comfortable and most natural for you. And, uh, and um, of course you need, I mean, getting out of the comfort zone is, is a subject of its own that of course I, I support. But I'm talking about being in your in your place. Even for example, there are different entrepreneurs, some that come from that are technologies that are very excited about technology and take it from that that direction. Some like me that are coming from the user experience uh, approach. Some can come from their salespeople that become uh, entrepreneurs. You need to be in your zone, not try to be what you're not, and then you will feel that even I mean, if you if you're in the, you're doing what you're best at. Even if you fail, you will, I think, continue because it wouldn't be right for you to just move to a different um, job or a different kind of space. Uh, and for me, you know, software and, and technology was the space that excited me and user experience. And then, you know, if I fail, I don't care. I mean, I feel bad, but I, it doesn't make me move to something else because I'm in the right place. I feel you feel it in your bones that you're doing is the thing that you were born to or that is right for you so I think the most important thing is to find yourself to that to to the place that you is right for you and then you will overcome the challenges got it I hear that um, is, is there anything that stayed with you from your first job that you kept that you you know habit or you know a certain culture that stayed with you throughout oh, that's an interesting question so my, my first job was a UI designer for a company that is doing very well until now. It's called Waves. Uh, they're doing a digital audio processing. 
And uh, I'm trying to think of something that stayed with me since then. I think uh, simplicity. Um, I think that what I learned there is to find the minimalist, uh, a minimal way to achieve what what is uh, what I'm looking for, uh, to clean any, as much as I can. The product needs to do less. Uh, it's uh, it's much easier to add features. It's much harder to say what is really really critical for the success. And I think the more you practice this uh, and and apply it, the more successful or chances you have to be successful on the product to be successful. Okay. So then you know the next the follow up with that is. You know, did you have a mentor? Did, did you view someone that you went to? And again, you know, VCs are great, but sometimes VCs aren't the best type because they always have an agenda, right? There, yeah, even though you, you're friendly with them, they always look out for their investment, right? That's their that's mm-hmm. their job. But was there someone over the time, especially you know, building a company and going through what you went through to, to get to where you were or where you are now? I should say, did you have someone that you leaned on? So it's, uh, you know, it's funny, but the answer is no. However, I feel that the two partners I worked with were like two mentors. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, and that, I think that's one of the reasons we, we were getting along so well. We, uh, we trusted and appreciated each other so much that, uh, you know, we were easy to convince by. So when a mentor is someone who is, you know, you trust and you follow when you're not sure about what's the right thing to do so think of being in such a situation with your partner so let's say what should i do now with you know with the hiring of uh, i don't know i want to hire an executive what's the right way i go and speak with them and uh, and trust them so much as much as, as i trust the mentor do you mentor people now? Do you? So yes, but not on a constant. I don't have the time to, yeah. to be attached to a certain. But I constantly work with entrepreneurs, both you know in Israel and uh, from SAP. The organization is encouraging uh, entrepreneurs within the organization and outside. They're helping them. So I'm. It's part of my role. I'm helping entrepreneurs. In Got it. So so let's talk about that, right? So, you know. Ten years go by, or even more, right? Two thousand six. So what you sold in two thousand seventeen? Yes. You were, so eleven years. What, what went through your mind, like you know, when you were like, you know, when you started realizing people were sniffing around? And I think you raised you raised you raised a lot of money over mm-hmm. those eleven yeah. years. You know, and you still exited nicely. What was your what was racing through your mind? Like, did all were you, all of you on board? You know, we're saying great, this is a great opportunity, we should do it. Um, you know, were you doing a dance? Were you saying no? I think we get more. Like, what what take us through what went through your yeah. mind? So first, it, uh, it, I need to mention that uh, it didn't come by surprise. What I want to say is that. We had the best, 2017 was the best year ever, 2016 was the second best year ever, so things were building up. First, in terms of customers and deal size, so if at the beginning when we launched the product as a SaaS service, we charged $10,000 a year, in 2016 we had customers who paid a million or two million a year, and so things were going great. And then following that were the analyst reports that both Forrester and what was the other the other big one, Gartner, um, announced us as the number one in our space. And then following that came became the came the phone calls from the largest companies in the world in our space, uh, you know, trying to see you know if how they can be part of 
of what we're doing for success. Um, so it was a, a gradual uh, process. And uh, I, I think that, you know, at the point where we received uh, concrete offers, um, we already uh, were after a, after a process of, of figuring out what what we want to do when we grow up. Or what's our next <laughs> phase? You yeah. know? And it was clear that we either do it alone or we do it with someone who is sharing the same vision with us. The first offers were from companies that had different different goals than us. So, you know, we still continued the conversation. It was so good for the negotiation, uh, having a few parties instead of putting them away. But, um, but we weren't convinced they're the right partner for us. And SAP really shared the same vision and uh, the same culture, as I mentioned, um, everything fit and fell into place. So uh, it was not a, such a hard decision. Well, that, that's, that's a good story. <laughs> All right, so a few more questions and we'll wrap it up. What companies do you look at now and you're saying, wow, like they're just... In the Israeli scene? Israeli scene, yeah, let's start there. And then overall. So I must say that I'm not so much connected with the... Uh, with the industry, even not in, either in Israel and outside, in terms of the you know reading TechCrunch or just being in, in these events, I was uh, in the recent years uh, involved with you know within my ecosystem of of the identity and the customer data and SaaS enterprise. Uh, I'm very well uh, updated. Um, but I'm you know I'm trying now that I have a little bit more time after the acquisition. Uh, begin to look around mainly to see who I can help. To, so it relates more to younger companies. Yeah, okay. uh, but I'm not, you know, I'm not reading the marker or something like that. I'm, I'm, I'm just, oh, I was focused, at, you know, heads down into work, <laughs> our industry. Our, yeah. I'm, you know, I'm not going to such events, you know. Uh, I, I hear that. <laughs> and so throughout the time, um, you know, that you've been working, you know, is there a habit that you do that keeps you? focused like is there something that whether it's an email application whether it's just meditating in the morning whatever it may be mm-hmm. is there something that you do on a daily basis that keeps you you know let, you know focus on you know and, and not even focus but making yourself more efficient yeah so i again i don't know efficient but i have answered your question there are two things that i do one i do meditate and i find it very helpful and i do sports every day and um i feel that um it's just, it's like, you know, uh, it's like drugs. It's like it, it puts uh, something chemical within you, both of these, that uh, boosts your energies, your optimism, your um, kind of vitality. You just want to achieve, you want to do things. It's like, for, I don't even drink coffee. People say that this is what they feel when they drink coffee. So um, these are the two things I recommend. Cool. <laughs> so last two questions. Do you listen to podcasts? And if yes. so, which ones do you listen to? Top two or yeah. three? So I listen to uh, Tim Ferriss. Okay. And uh, recently I tried uh, um, Sam Harris. Mm-hmm. Um, he has some interesting... Uh, he's a neuroscientist and a philosopher. Um, very, very um, controversial in some way, but he's saying some interesting things too. Okay. And the last question, um, what books are you reading now? Um, so first step, maybe that's a good opportunity to mention that I published a book, okay. uh, which is called The, uh, the Digital Identity Crisis. Um, and 
Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't read a lot of nonfiction. Mm-hmm. Um, I do read uh, uh, fiction books. So currently I'm reading, uh, what's the name in English? It's a, it's a, uh, yeah, I don't remember the name. Oh, no worries. <laughs> okay. Well, again, I, I want to thank you very much for your time today. Um, you know, it's great to learn more about the story, learn more about how you achieve success. Um, and, you know, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Love this episode of the Plugged In Podcast? Head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It's very much appreciated. Thank you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.